This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. I am solo again this week as Dan uh, is involved in something down in Texas, uh, but I'm here with a returning guest, Catherine D., um, who, uh, you know, longer term listeners of the show will, of course, be familiar with really just anyone in this broader Twitter sphere uh, will be familiar with. Catherine writes about um, a variety of topics, many of them related to the web um, and sort of web sociology and archaeology, almost I, I would describe it. Um, again, most of most of you listening are probably familiar. Um, but Catherine, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, sure thing. It's uh, it's been by you know um, almost by accident. I think it's been about a year, almost to the day since you since you last came on new right. So it's, it'll be good to sort of catch up on this. Uh, you know, annual basis almost. Um, and you've done you've done <laughs> quite a lot uh, in the past year since the last time you were on. Um, you've been continuing to work hard, and like a lot of, I feel like a lot of interesting stuff has happened. Uh, maybe um, most prominently, your Tucker Carlson appearance was that back in October. Um, that actually that was in August. Really? Gosh, man, time moves. Yeah, it's, it does. In it's so ways. It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in Los Angeles too, so the weather doesn't help. With that, like, I just remember it being warm out, but it's kind of warm out from August through October here sometimes. So um, that all gets stuck in my memory. But that was obviously um, something of a watershed moment for you, would you say? Um, I don't know. Uh, it was yeah, definitely. Maybe, maybe not. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was definitely a surprise. I don't know if it changed much. I mean, I guess what it did was it it gave me. um you know, and I'm having like these like sort of like black pilled moments where I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just like a obscure blogger. I could always mm-hmm. say, well, at least I was on Tucker Carlson. <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely. Um, and it really is a, a great interview. I, you know, I don't want to rehash anything that's dated at this point, but I do want to talk a little bit about your basically the article that I think Tucker probably reached out to you on or, or the one that you guys talked about the most, which is your mass shootings and the world that liberalism made um, article, which is very good. Uh, we can we can touch on that more in a moment, but but no, just uh, yeah, I, I think what, what you say makes sense. I mean, I think that you you are someone who it always is doing any number of projects. So I feel like you never it is never it's not. I feel like your 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 career isn't so much built up of these like watershed type type moments, but more so you know you're just keeping on keeping on as it were. But but I can see what you're saying, like. It, it's a, it validates something right to, to kind of get right. get on that on that wavelength yeah. yeah no I mean it's 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 like at least like I not, at least it's sort of the wrong word because it makes it sound like it it was no big deal it's actually a huge deal and like a huge honor um yeah. 
but it's like one of these things where it's like if that's as far as I go like that was a pretty that's a pretty uh great you know if that's if that was the end then great that's yeah. you know most people work much longer and much harder to get there so I should I'm very very grateful and um yeah I have a lot of gratitude for it and I'm I'm glad that he he read my uh my little blog <laughs> <laughs> definitely and you did a good job um promoting some other friends of this podcast in this sphere such as Gio Panachetti and um obviously he had Yarvin on earlier last year so um there's definitely a sense that Tucker or someone in his camp is is watching this corner of things Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that you know his like his producers are you know there's a, probably at least one anon. Among, yeah, that's always the assumption. Yeah, it's like it's the question of who, I guess, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, normally I save this for more the end of the show, but since you're always doing so many different things, um, why don't you, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about like your the projects that are most exciting to you right now i saw you started a new project with nama kates if you want to talk about that um but re really anything you kind of got going on like uh you know this past year and and up to now yeah you know it's it's, it's interesting that you asked that because i had this realization um a couple of days ago like i'm stretched way too thin um i don't think more projects are necessarily better i'm thinking maybe yeah. i should switch to like fewer uh fewer deeper projects um as opposed to doing like, you know, 50 crazy things at once, which has been, I, I say yes to every invitation of, <laughs> yeah. of any kind, yeah. right? So, you know, long-term projects, short-term projects, podcasts, whatever. Uh, and that's worked in my favor, but it's also like, you know, that's a good way to run out of gas. So Definitely. Um, yeah. one of, um, part of that uh, re refocusing is I've been very interested in, mediated relationships i mean probably that's that's the basis of my my whole project um and mm -hmm. in I, for comment magazine i wrote an article called computer love which was a spin-off of a shorter substack post um called uh can you pair bond during cyber sex yeah i saw that uh, because, yeah yeah um yeah a lot of that that was amusing to a lot of people but i mean it's a <laughs> so real question, like, question. If, yeah Right, like if it, like what what happens to you chemically if you have if you have a very intimate, very intense, uh, mediated romantic relationship, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of like disparate work done on that. Um, so that sort of culminated in this project with Nama Cates called "We Met Online," which is just exclusively about um, mediated romance. Interesting. Um, yeah. No, it seems great. So yes. it's mediated romance in the sense that when you say met online, are we talking more about these sort of distance, long distance and, and sometimes like non-traditional type sexual and romantic relationships? Or do you even mean people who meet on Bumble and Tinder and things like that? Both. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's I think it's a spectrum. Uh, we're we're focusing, at least at first, um, on relationships that are confined to the internet yeah um you know in all Mediated the many ways they manifest. in the proper sense yeah yeah but we yeah, but we definitely have plans to talk about like well what happens when these relationships move into the physical world mm -hmm. um I, and I think so I, that's something that's been interesting to me um I'm still keeping the computer room which is a, which is a similar project just more general um it's it's just about the you know the internet it's it's kind of in the in the name um, an internet mm -hmm. culture. 
uh, it's funny. It was a, a placeholder at first. Um, I was hiding. Um, so my, I, I originally had a podcast called After the Orgy. I don't know right. if, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I remember it. Yeah. And for, for, for listeners who, who don't, who don't know about that, it was sort of, it started as a podcast that was like unpacking 2008 to 2014 and the changes in, in feminism and uh, digital media. Um, and then my, my podcast co-host felt, I think, frustrated by that because she didn't know as like, mm-hmm. she didn't know as much about that topic as maybe she felt comfortable, you know, having a podcast about like she it felt, yeah. Um, and wow, well, I'm, I'm not super articulate today. I'm, no, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. anyway, so it, it turned into a podcast more broadly about desire. Um, and then she kind of just Irish exited one day. She didn't tell me she was quitting. Um, yeah. I don't, I, to this day, I don't know what the hell happened, but, um, I was like, okay, I'll put out some placeholder episodes while I wait for her to come back. Yeah. Um, and you know, the first one was with Gio, um, and it was a really interesting ep- episode about different internet subcultures. And then the next episode was with Yarvin. And it was yeah. about um, how his career developed on Usenet. Um, and then like pl- it was just like placeholder after placeholder. And then finally I realized, oh, she's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just a different different podcast. Um, yeah. It's a shame. It was a, it was a, it was a great show. And I think it had a lot of potential. Um, but yeah, it just spun off into this whole this whole other thing. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's still, de- it's still developing now. Uh, my co-host is poetry grifter on Twitter. Right. Um, oh, so she's the co-host of computer room. Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure. Cause I thought that might've been a different project. No, that's cool. Yeah. I view, um, computer room as it kind of makes sense almost as like your, your general, like main, main podcast. Cause it kind of, to me, that seems to encapsulate everything that you do. Obviously after the orgy has the kind of commentary on the sexual revolution which is a lot which is a big component of what you do but uh but you know but that is also part and parcel of a broader interest in digital and you know internet culture right yeah i i just i i decided to um home in on internet culture i think i think for a while i was like accidentally like the sex negativity chick um which mm-hmm. I didn't love because that, you know, that happened because I had, I wrote this like very like schizo slipshod blog post that was like a list of predictions. Right. Yeah. And it, basically I was describing not what I thought like on the ground physical world trends were going to be, but how I thought the conversation in media was going to evolve as it relates to sex. Yeah. Um, basically it was like a, it was, a list of predictions of New York Times headlines, if we're being honest, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and that it ended up being quoted in the New York Times like several several times, right? Um, which is sort of which is sort of funny. Um, and I do think the discourse and the conversation has shifted um, in line with those predictions. It was a, it was a few years ago, and I think it was three years ago now. But yeah. a lot of people misread that post to be like me saying. Um, people's real world behavior is going to be like this. And, uh, you know, that I, that I myself am promoting sex negativity or like a prudishness. And in so, you, there's certain tenets of that, that I actually do agree with. Like, um, I'm pretty anti-porn or mm-hmm. at least like I'm more porn skeptical than maybe like a, a, a lib femme might be. Um, so I kind of ran with it, but I think that was a mistake because it's, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of apolitical. I, uh, 
I overuse this quote, but I, you know, I explore more than I explain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? no, I'm, no, definitely. I'm, I'm poking yeah. around. Um, but I, I needed some way to like move beyond that because I, I'm, I'm more interested in talking about how people are talking about things or how these sort of like mediated cultures arise than I am about, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not Louise Perry. Right. And I, I think she does it. She does a really great job at what she does. And anytime someone asks me for like a, a sex negative take, I'm like, Louise is doing it better than anyone else in the game. If you, mm-hmm. if you're, you read her book and you want more, go to Christine Emba or Mary Harrington, but that's not my bag. That's, that's, that's their thing. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> just, I can't, I, I'd be fumbling through it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think it. I think it makes sense. I think, yeah, it's becoming the the figurehead of something like sex negativity, even if you are trying to, you know, um, show more than tell, so to speak, uh, what what people are talking about. Uh, it's a. It's very somehow uh, very 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 contentious, and and people are going to view you in a certain way politically, and possibly even take significant issue with what you say, etc. So I can see why you'd want to step back from that a bit but that being said um you know we talked about this i think either on when you came on new right last year or or also when you and i were both on robert stark's podcast talking about this but i remember you 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 know so that was about a a year ago and we talked about sex negativity and its potential you know influence on the culture but i do feel like even in the past year um it has uh continue to evolve in that direction and it's a way that's in a way that like a lot of people i don't i don't think are talking about because it's still politically contentious no one wants to be sex negative but um but i think it's in the air uh actually this is pretty random but i watch the show dave on um fx the little you know the rapper little dicky has a show and the episode that aired like last week i don't want to get into this in depth it just was an interesting example for me felt a little bit not sex negative just just kind of not sex positive in the way it sort of portrayed hookup culture and all these different things i only bring that up i just think it's it is in the air i i i imagine you feel the same way that that there's kind of this you know we're kind of burnt out on sex positive feminism certainly and and the notion that this is this kind of sexual sexually open culture is good for its participants feels increasingly hackneyed i think um both as like a cultural thing but also just when in viewing the real life effects yeah i mean here's one thing that people don't believe me when i say this is you you really see it too on the on the left and yeah i I hate to call it the left because i really think it's an I, I really think it's more like the the mainstream. Um, you know, I've seen like several sort of like, you know, people who ordinarily would be described as woke, like critiquing dating apps or like dating app burnout, um, talking <clears throat> about being more intentional about sex without necessarily um, like, quote unquote, slut shaming. Um, and I really do think that like par- part of this shift is um, the mainstream or the, you know, very, very loosely using this label left critiquing its excesses and critiquing what created the market for like anti-woke liberals. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. curious, like how that's going to develop because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of commenters and who are, who are basically liberals, but they're anti-woke. So they're able to distinguish themselves. But now that the people they were identifying against have caught up 
like they could either go further right or they could try to like reintegrate themselves to the you know with the community they left and i'm, I'm very curious like how that's going to change the sort of like dissident center yeah no i mean i think yeah the dissident center <laughs> i think there's still you know even i think that's a really interesting way of looking at it first of all that there is this kind of self-critique that takes place because again i think everything runs its course and i think definitely sex positive feminism or just sex positivity in general very much ran its course so there's a natural self-critique um, but there is also that deeper level where you know i think it's a little bit unconscious but i think there's that people and you know people involved in pr and just try you know con facilitating the conversation so to speak um should be concerned about what's creating this market for the um anti-woke uh laughter anti-woke just anti-woke cultural trends in general because obviously that too um you know in probably the year since we lasted a show has continued to very much go in a direction where that's increasingly mainstream you know the, the red scare of it also this, I, I do think if that is what they're doing if they're if they're kind of critiquing their own you know product so to speak in, in order to hopefully revitalize it in their mind um then that would make sense um but yeah how will that i still think i mean i think it's a it's yeah, a mix yeah oh, no, i think it's a it's, yeah. it's a mix of just sort of, like i don't think that i don't think people are fully aware that basically like there it, it's a you know this is business right like i don't think it's a fully conscious thing um but mm -hmm. you know i think it's a mix of like okay well bad things are happening and people are recognizing that there's like deleterious effects of certain mm -hmm. policies or, or cultural norms um dating apps is sort of like a safe example but you know like another area i've seen is like um criticism of a medical transition without being um what might like normally be termed as transphobic mm -hmm. um that's like another area yep. like yep. um but then you know but then the other side of it is also like with the internet we're all sort of selling a, selling our conversations and you run out of you like you run out of frontier and you have to start going in the other direction yeah no no definitely i think there's i think there's, it's kind of it's kind of both like people's I, I people's concerns are legitimate but also it's like you get bored like you... yo yeah absolutely um no i think both things are happening at the same time and what you asked was also an interesting question like how is that going to affect the dissident center how's that going you know will they could could the establishment the more mainstream left win back defectors uh maybe I, right now i think just kind of politically and culturally there's so much stagnation on a mainstream level um that's my perception anyway there, there's still you know you know you kind of not to get too political not to get too topically political you, you have you know the, if if the figurehead is in fact biden um which i guess i suppose it is you know he's the democratic president and the, you know the the establishmentarian president the sort of figurehead of this it's kind of just this very and I don't even want to be too mean here, but, you know, very tired and old kind of image. And and that's kind of what it feels like is the state of, you know, the establishment, as you called it, or the mainstream left as as it is also, I think. And whatever kind of comes next for them, I think, has not quite gotten that new shot in the arm yet to really be a new vision of anything. They don't have there's no new Obama figure in sight. Um but but I think that's probably what they in the long term be be sort of angling for, and I think they are kind of involved in a in a sort of self critique right now, 
um, I guess to lay the groundwork for that. I mean, I guess that that could be an interesting prediction in itself to see kind yeah, of where I this think, goes. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I as far as like what you know, what do you do with the dissident center? I do suspect that a lot of people who defected won't be able to go back because I've noticed there's still a gatekeeping. Like I was just telling, uh, I was just on the phone with my friend and I was telling him how like there's a number of sort of like um, left, like leftists or more mainstream like Zoomer personalities who I'm friendly with who have, you know, all but explicitly told me like, I can't interact with you publicly, not because I think, you know, I think there's anything wrong with you per se, but like you are associated with Jesse Single and he's transphobic and that's bad for my brand. And like, you know, like there's all these sort of yeah. like political machinations going on. Jesse Single is a liberal, you know what I mean? Like, he, yeah, like, no, definitely. He, but he's so, he's so like, and he doesn't meaningfully disagree with anyone really, um, you know, in the mainstream, but because he has this like mark of transphobia, even if, you know, the same people who think he's like a transphobic evil person agree with him on like point point by point issues, he may he would never be able to go back. He has to just hope that like the anti-woke center remains. I think it'll just end up like full of boomers and like Gen Xers and you know the rest of the world's gonna keep moving forward. Um that doesn't mean that I think that uh, mm -hmm. he'll start making less money or anything, but I think the uh the needs and um desire for that kind of content it's just gonna change shape a little bit. Do you think it's going to be become more be become more or you think the kind of dissident center thing is going to become more niche or less niche? Um, I think it's probably just going to be more for older people. Um, oh, it kind of is right now yeah, for older people, yeah. but even more so. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I don't know how many like, fresh young people are going to start aligning with that, uh, that yeah. segment of the market. Sure. I mean, there's it's kind of a weird meeting place right now. Um, somewhat uneasy bedfellows, perhaps, or it's kind of there's a mix of older, disaffected liberals um, with with more like, um, you know, zillennial Red Scare fans, I guess. And there's kind of a similar thing where they're maybe both disaffected from the cultural left, but ultimately for different reasons and with different energy levels if that makes i mean do, do you do you kind of see that as a dichotomy between the younger sort of dissident center post you know anti-woke left crowd and the the older like gen x boomer crowd um i i i'm trying to think like who i would say is like the younger like dissident center i mean like like i, I mean don't it, really... i think it's smaller i mean i'm literally talking about people yeah. <laughs> who are at the devere ball or something like that I mean, that's sort of that's sort of an interesting demographic because those are people who I don't like I think they're almost more uh, so like the, like a Gen Xer, right? Like probably like basically a liberal and mm -hmm. feels like, you know, they, they just miss the 90s or something. Right. They exactly, miss like a, yeah. the pre woke. Whereas like, you know, the people at the Devere Ball, I, I don't think they have the straw. You know, there's obviously like individual uh, people who this doesn't apply to but I think in general they don't have like a strong political orientation um yeah. there's a lot of sort of like just fishing for edginess I mean I I, I alienated that crowd uh very recently because hmm. you know I was like why um like why do you like Thomas 777 right that was basically uh, that was basically the question I threw out to them 
And, um, it, you know, it got misframed or whatever. So I think that they flirt with the dissident right as a way to distinguish themselves or because it feels dangerous or taboo. Yeah. Um, and they're constantly sort of winking at the audience, daring people to call them fascists without a willingness to like fully embrace what that means. Um, <laughs> and I, and yeah. I was sort of, I, I was sort of like, you know, um, I mean, it was, it, it was a dumb thing to do, but it's like, pick, pick a lane, right? Oh, like you, you clearly yeah. aren't actually fascists. You are, and they, they, they sort of spun that and sort of like, well, you're a libtard. And basically what I was saying is you guys are posers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you know? I, there's definitely, um, you know, I wouldn't make any blanket statements and I kind of enjoy, well, that event at <laughs> the beer ball and also just uh, friends with a lot of people in that crowd. But, um, but there's no, no doubt that I'm not even accusing anyone in particular of being a poser, but it's no doubt that there's, um, there's a, there's an element of that to, to the whole thing, you know, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, uh... Yeah, I don't I don't want to like further. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, no. I, I don't want to, you know, upset people who like may like still like me or whatever. But I just think like when you're getting to the point of like promoting uh, Thomas, who is, you know, an avowed national socialist and a racist in either words that he would use uh, to describe himself. And then you're saying, I don't give a fuck about race. It's like, well, what is the the fascination like there yeah. seems to be this like inability to say well i'm just curious like they won't even say i'm just curious or like he has interesting insights on other topics there's like this need to like be perceived as on you know on the razor's edge of acceptability uh yeah, well, while also yeah go on sorry like maintain well i'm just a good liberal you know no i mean yeah. that's I, I said my piece Listen, I didn't necessarily want to bring this up, but it, it, we're talking about it now anyway. Um, you know, Thomas has actually been on this podcast and, you know, I actually would say, you know, for me, it's not that I agree with him politically. It's that I think he has interesting insights on other topics. And I actually enjoyed his book. And that's mostly what we talked about because this is a literary podcast. Um, and I understand and I don't want to say any. Maybe, I'll cut this out if you if you don't want to. I know that you you and Thomas are actually not unfriendly, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, that's what he I lives, thought. He lives here yeah. in Chicago. Okay, I didn't know if that was a uh, secret information, but um, anyhow, uh, it is. I, I talked with Dan, you know, my normal co-host about this and others. It's like, why is it that Thomas, of all people, um, has made it into like the Red Scare, you know, orbit? Um, because like he is pretty. It's because <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um, it's I think that they really get off on being um perceived as edgy i mean i think it, it's yeah. just it's just that simple um and they don't want to commit to that i mean it's it's you know exactly what i what i already said it's daring the audience to call you a fascist and then the minute that they do saying i'm not conservative uh you know which is not what if you know it's not the same right it's sort of a conflation mm -hmm. of terms um i'm not right wing i'm just so i'm just a liberal and then like retweeting an anime ad who you know maybe retweeting like a, a innocuous post from an anime app whose whole timeline is TMD, right? It's, it's, it's like a, you know, and I don't know if it's like smuggling views in, right. Or like, you know, if they secretly do believe these things and they're just, you know, they're trying to keep their Patreon or like, I don't, I don't know what exactly is going on, but I just, I suspect it's just this desire to be validated by who they think are the new punk or bad boys or whatever. Yeah. Right. And um, Thomas is a I very would, I would good, bet. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he's sort of a meme. You know, I, I'm a meme yeah. myself. And it's not, it's yeah. not an insult to him. Like, I, he has a very uh, funny typing style. There's something, there's a certain cachet and feeling like you're in his inner circle. Um, I don't think that's fair to him, right? If, if, if that's all he is to you, right? Yeah. Um, if you're not actually engaging with the work. But mm-hmm. I think that most of his quote unquote fans who, you know, maybe live in Brooklyn probably haven't read his books. Um, oh, I, no. They probably don't know what he believes. There's just no way. They just think it's kind of funny. And, um, you know, they they collect these curios, right? Uh, and it just, it, it, it is what it is. It's just interesting. Now yeah, that I've really alienated myself. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think it's a valid topic. I mean, I think about this a lot with, with Thomas and, and with others. Um, yeah, he's kind of been made into a meme by them and obviously he is a very funny and entertaining guy in many respects and in the way he presents things so it i don't even think it's a totally a bad thing or anything but um it's just interesting how it's like he has kind of become very adjacent to that scene whereas like richard spencer for example who by now and there's a lot of very good reasons to dislike richard spencer um you know given for both issues of his personal life and and his views past and present yet nevertheless like he's actually very moderate now yet it's still very like you never uh, in kind of the red scare tier you never say like oh i'm gonna have richard spencer on my podcast it's um i mean it might be that they tried and he said no might be but i don't i suspect it's just still thomas is viewed as as you said as curio that everyone knows that no one on a mainstream level knows who he is um somehow even though he is you know pretty pretty firm in his views shall we say um He's he's somehow not associated with the taint of that um, older alt right movement, I guess. Right. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. Um, it's 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 a it's a weird one. <laughs> it's a it's a yeah. It, it is it is a weird thing. I mean, really, I I do think that there is sort of like um he just has like this cachet, right? He's just a cult figure, and they collect cult. I mean, there was like the Alex Jones thing was another. Right. You know, I I found that I found this sort of. Uh, brief love affair that uh, this milieu had with Alex Jones very frustrating mm-hmm. um, with the exception of Alex Lee Moyer who I feel like really did sort of like get it in, you know in a way I feel like she's yeah. she's very for real in certain ways um, or not in even certain ways I mean just, she's, I think she's very authentic um, but, but the you know the, the Alex Jones thing is like you know we know for a fact, even that people like they would have treated genuine info warriors with derision, not three years ago. Right. And, mm-hmm. and suddenly that there was some kind of like cachet you could get from it. It was like, Oh, well now it's acceptable, but there's no sort of like awareness of like what these people, like what a, what a genuine, um, you know, Alex Jones fan is like in, in the physical world, what, what that, what the contours of his actual beliefs are, what he's promoting, um, you know what it means to find community um, or feel intellectually validated by uh, you know that kind of programming, um, and and this yeah. is this is purely descriptive, right? I'm not saying that uh, there's something wrong with info warriors or, or you know anything like that. I'm just saying it's a very specific sort of worldview that you we don't learn about that worldview when Alex Jones becomes the freak show of the month. We cool it yeah. is that these girls are hanging out with Alex Jones. They don't give a fuck, right? Like it's obvious they don't. They don't know or care. It's just how do we look at as edgy as possible? Yeah. Um, I mean, my biggest problem with this whole crowd is nothing that they believe or don't believe. It's that I really do think that they are, um, that they're posers. That's the only word for it. 
mean, if yeah. they really, if they were really buying this stuff, if they were, if they really believed it, and they're, or they're even just exploring and and they meant it, it, that's that's cool as hell. But you know, you just know that they're not. Yeah. Hmm. No, definitely fair enough. Um, you know, at risk, uh, I I think most of most of the listeners to this podcast will be fairly sympathetic to that notion. Yeah, I think with Alex Jones, it's uh, I I hadn't even really thought of that, but you bring up a good point. I mean, people on both sides, I guess, consistently underestimate just how huge his audience was and still is. And um, you know, with something like Alex's War, which again, I think maybe I'm I'm not saying anything against the the movie or, or Alex Lee Moyer, but the general phenomenon phenomena of that uh, phenomenon of that um, within the kind of Red Scare milieu uh, is kind of this you know, collection of a curio or a meme in real life thing um, that sort of uh, glosses over just the significance of the impact that someone like has him, someone like him has on flyover country and on people who listen to um, AM radio or sorry, FM, AM radio. um, And, you know, who, who are not necessarily online or listening to Red Scare. I mean, there's that huge class of people who are, uh, not to, not to sound too polemical about it, but who are now sort of forgotten yet again as as a force, which was why he got popular in the first place was by, um, you know, depends on who you ask, you know, re- representing them or feeding them misinformation, you know, debates bound. But in any case, he he had, you know, Alex Jones was all about that big, um, you know, middle America type audience that is, you know, once again, not still doesn't really have like a voice in any of this. Right. I mean, because they don't they don't really care. And I don't think they would they would want to hang out with those people, uh, you mm-hmm. know, unless they could sort of treat them as, uh, you know, unless unless it was somehow socially expedient. I mean, I think to you know, to bring up Alex's war, the film, Alex's war. I mean, what's great about that is it it really does. It, it really did a good job of showing like. Alex Jones is uh, something mm-hmm. of like a folk hero to a lot of people and they mean yeah. it and it's not a joke and it's, you know, and, and he, and as much as he's had his own sort of, you know, machinations through marketing or, uh, you know, whatever, right. He also, he means it. And uh, yeah. I think no, that's, I that's, that too. that's yeah. taken for, gr- that's really taken for granted. Um, and, and, and I mean, like you can, you could tell with sort of like this big tent shit that happens, like, you know, this adoration of Thomas, but also Moldbug, but also Alex Jones, but also Mike Cernovich, but also Ann Coulter, but also, you know, like yeah, uh, yeah. Niccolo Soldo and all of them. Yeah. But, and then, and then BAP, but then Radford Hitler. I mean, these people are all promoting like radically different worldviews. And again, if it was like genuinely like we're discussing ideas, you know, there's disagreement here and that, that would be, that'd be again, very cool, but obviously you know, no one gives a shit about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, interesting. I actually think anyway, worthwhile, um, worthwhile reflections <laughs> on, on some of this. That's, um, that's what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I hear you. Um, this is somewhat related, not directly related to that about the Red Scare crowd, but rather um, about Alex Jones. This was just kind of a one-off question I wanted to ask. Um, you, you recently... Um, this was someone else writing on your blog, but I know that you too are a fan of Art Bell. Um, and, and you recently had a kind of reflection that I'm trying to remember the writer's name from your website. Sorry that I don't have it at my fingertips, but but wrote a reflection called Live from uh, High Desert. Harlan? About... Harlan? Harlan, yeah. Yeah. What's their name? Sorry, Harlan. 
Um, yeah, he, Har- yeah, Harlan Dietrich. Uh, Harlan he, Dietrich. Okay. He's a really cool guy. He um, is, yeah, he was a, a 9-11 truther, uh, hmm. like an Austin-based 9-11 truther. And he was like very briefly like famous for this. Um, and yeah. he, he, he's friendly with Alex Jones. Um, he owned this bookstore called Brave New Books that was on a drag hmm. in Austin. Uh, right oh, across cool. the street from the University of Texas. Um, and it was sort of a, a meeting place for like, you know, info warriors or, 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 you know, fans of coast to coast. Um, he, uh, you know, is also very friendly with, with Cody Wilson. Um, yeah. I think Cody Wilson might've helped him start the bookstore. I don't remember. Um, ex- I don't remember exactly what happened there. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a really, it was a really interesting little place um and uh yeah i mean that that sort of that sort of culture uh doesn't exist in austin anymore as far as as far as i know well that actually uh, yeah, is, I, thought, um, I thought his piece was really good. yeah i thought it was good and um i'm glad to get the background on him which i had not known it actually gives the perfect uh sort of backdrop for the question i want to ask i'm sure you've thought about this kind of thing um but like so obviously Alex Jones, due to Sandy Hook, is, you know, is in for $1.5 billion in lawsuits uh, over damages related to misinformation. Uh, whereas Art Bell, um, recently, I don't remember the the name of this article, but recently got like a very uh, positive sort of retrospective, I believe in the New York Times, or it was a mainstream source of some kind that I, that I checked out. Um, so I guess... But, but you know, it sounds like people like Harlan Dietrich and others, you know, were, were probably a fan of both Art Bell and Alex Jones back in the day. What they're doing is not diametrically different. Obviously, Alex Jones was more obviously political and sort of of the right or at least populist in a way that Art Bell uh, was not per se. Uh, I guess I'm just curious if you had thoughts on like what is is the gap between Art Bell and Alex Jones really 1.5 billion worth of damages versus like a positive write up in a mainstream source? Like, what where do you think? Like, why why do some people like what is what are the, what are, what do you perceive? This is a big question, but what do you perceive as like the rules for like how you can question the mainstream narrative, and why is it that Art Bell did it in a way that was palatable, and Alex Jones did it in a way that made people want to destroy him? Was it just the Trump of it all? I'm just curious if you have thoughts on that. Um, Alex Jones has always been um, theatrical in a way that mm-hmm. Art Bell never was. Um, Art Bell had a number of controversial guests. Like, um, you know, I just recently li- listened to his episode um, with William Pierce, who wrote the Turner Diaries, right? Yeah. And Art Bell doesn't let him off the hook, you know? He he lets him say his piece, but uh, he, he was basically like a, a skeptical liberal or um, you know, maybe you could say he's a, a libertarian. A lot of the, a lot of the things he he believed um, just weren't um, threatening, even if he platformed people who were out there, right? Yeah. And there was also a very sort of like X Files or like weekly world news kind of valence to a lot of his shows. So it was, you know, it was at a time when you know there was uh, like people were like, were more, it was easier to bucket like, okay, this is uh, like, um, you know, somehow fantasy. And then there's the real stuff. Of course, the, you know, the, the irony is a lot of the, a lot of the things that were written off as silly actually 
there was very important kernels of truth. Like, um, you know, it was actually Art Bell who uh, broke the, there's atrazine in the water, you know, turning the frogs gay, right? Mm -hmm. But it was Alex Jones who said, you know, they're turning the frogs gay, which is so much catchier than there's atrazine in the water, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, and and I I mean, actually, I think that's a perfect difference. That's the difference between Art Bell and Alex Jones. And of course, we, you know, we shouldn't have this conversation at all without mentioning Bill Cooper, who hated mm. both of them, right? <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. he was, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Alex Jones was always sort of a liability. Um, he was, he was constantly starting like drama in Austin. Um, he, you know, would often like fear monger. Um, Art Bell didn't do that. Art Bell was more like, here, you know, here's some, here's some wacky ideas and, uh, you know, let's talk about UFOs and uh, let's do, you know, call in lines and, you know, 50% of the people will be telling me like eccentric shit. That's like actually true. And then the other 50% will be people having like genuine schizophrenic episodes. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he could get away with it today, but it was just, it was just a very different program. Um, Of course, you know, without, you know, without Bill Cooper, um, and without Art Bell, there is no Alex Jones. Um, but they, you know, they're all three. I mean, I think they, I think these are, you know, the three sort of uh, eras that we should we should think about. Um, very different, uh, different hosts. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, obviously, it's easy enough to see why one registers one way uh, and one registers the other. I think yeah, Art Bell is much more in that X Files class of things, whereas Alex Jones is is a much more significant political force. So. I'm not saying I don't understand how it happened, but I do think it's kind of remarkable, like just just how big that gulf sort of got with reputationally. Because Art Bell is, I mean, you yeah. can probably find people criticizing him, but he's basically celebrated, and Alex Jones is one of the more demonized people in America. I I I, I don't think that they're. You know who I think is closer to Art Bell than Alex Jones is um, Clyde Lewis, hmm, who's Ground but, Zero. Yeah, um, which is if you you know. Uh, this, I mean, this is dated information. I haven't listened to a uh, in-car radio in like five or six years. But you know, I I, I would take these like long drives mm-hmm. um, from just south of Austin. You know, it, it's far north as I you know, I you know, we were awake for my my ex-husband would drive and we would listen to Ground Zero when we listened to a syndicated episode of Coast to Coast AM. Uh, mm-hmm. And though you know, those were those were very similar shows. And Ground Zero was like the the current one and you know Clyde Lewis would it was sometimes it was sometimes political but it was like he would interview like psychic vampires or uh like a real exorcist and it, it was um I mean it was, it was just very it was it was just very coast to coast yeah it's like the intention was more yeah more x-files more about this sort of um like metaphysically like what's out there versus um yeah like more about kind of metaphysically what's out there versus alex jones which is a little bit sometimes about you know metaphysically what's out there but but also about like what you should do about it or or who's responsible and how they should be fought it's just like there's an inherent he's also just like louder right yeah 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 you know he's in 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 like literally but also uh, but also figuratively um it's just it's just like so much so much more um theatrical and i feel like he you know, Alex Jones used to do a lot more uh, like paranormal sort of content, and is I think is mostly 
political now. And, right. you know, of, of course, like the shame is like, no, you know, very few uh, like mainstream journalists could probably characterize what his politics are. And it's sort of all about the, the, the outbursts. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny. Like it, in some ways he's actually like more reasonable <laughs> than you would anticipate. Oh yeah. No, for sure. And that was another thing in Alex's war that you kind of see, but. Um... You got to pick up on. Like he's, he's a Texas libertarian who who's just very uh he's he, and but I won't say he's a performance artist. I don't think he's a performance artist, but no. he is uh he does love a spectacle. Exactly. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's more libertarian than people realize, uh, which I think is kind of the case for the populist right in general. Uh that's a whole other topic we don't need to get into, but I think there's a general um portrayal of the populist right as this authoritarian thing, whereas actually it's quite libertarian. I mean, even in the case of Trump, but not even to get too far into to politics. Um, yeah, you, you're saying uh, the the kind of uh, the scene around Alex Jones and Art Bell and others in that bookstore in Austin is is pretty much dead at this point. Yeah, I mean, at least as far as I know, I haven't I haven't been mm-hmm. I haven't you know I haven't lived in Texas in a long time. Um, it was already kind of being snuffed out in in 2017 in 2017 the bookstore closed i think i think it was 2017 um and then there was still there you know it was called the conscious community right and the conscious Mm. community was basically info warriors right um and you know it just became more and more disparate and then covid sort of broke it up and um it you know just wasn't as eclectic anymore i mean it might still be around i just i don't have yeah um i don't have the context since i moved sure but, but i also I mean, I just, think that yeah. it got to it, yeah just it, austin was a really interesting place i mean and up until you know it, it, it i think it was alive a lot longer than people even know because you know people have been saying austin's dead since 2006 right <clears throat> yeah but I, you know i don't think i think it, i think it's it it had a much longer lifespan but now i think it it really is dead for real like it it mm. was such a interesting city because it, it was so rich in subcultures and a lot of these subcultures um you know by necessity were like propped up by people who couldn't have um high paying jobs just because not because that the people in them were like you know dumb or anything it was just they were so sort of like labor intensive um that it it, it would never make sense for a person with those types of interests to like work a nine to five at a tech company and make $250,000 a year. Right. And yeah. there was like a vampire scene and um, like a very like vibrant, like neo-pagan scene. There is yeah. of course uh, tons of like, dis- like, like libertarian style dissidents. I, there was the early crypto community. I and mean, there's yeah. all sorts of interesting things happening there. Um, and now I, I don't think you really see it. Cause it was also reflected in all the, all the interesting stores, right. There was like, Certain, there was also certain like nightclubs, like it had a real goth club, um, which is probably still open. But like, I the only other place uh, that I had like, you know, seen such vibrancy was like San Antonio, and that might be where everyone w- one left to. But it was just like, Maybe, yeah. like mm. quirky people who were like quirky because like that was just who they were, not because it was like for anyone. And um, it's just you know the Bay Area was like that too before it got you know, too expensive. Yeah, no, no, interesting. Yeah, and I'm sure with the info warriors of it all, obviously that post-2017 just got so, 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 you know, the, the social price of identifying that way went went so, so far upward. But but that's interesting to hear about Austin. I've never been, um, it's actually where my co-host is right now, I believe. 
Uh, and I, I would like to go at some point, but yeah, it sounds like it's not, not necessarily what it once was. Yeah, hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's different. Yeah. Well, I did, um, you know, I'm sure you, you obviously talked about this with Tucker, but it is a great article. I did want to talk a little bit about your mass shootings in the world liberalism made article, um, just to kind of give the broad strokes, very brilliant name for it, by the way, because I think it kind of encapsulates everything, uh, you were trying to say in terms of, um, you know, you know, the typical thing is to obviously blame guns and toxic masculinity for, for mass shootings, but, um, you kind of went for the jugular in terms of talking about nihilism as a byproduct of liberalism and the liberal world order, so to speak, um, as kind of creating this nihilistic undercurrent in culture. Uh, is that sort of how you'd present the article? Yeah. Um, and we could, we, you know, we could thank Pedro Gonzalez for giving the headline. Um, he, oh, he's a really great. great editor. I know he's, yeah. Yeah, he's like one of these people who's also a little controversial, but um, yeah, he he helped me like shape that piece. Um, helped to trim a lot of fat. That the the original draft of that piece is like like six thousand words long and goes down like fifty different rabbit holes, and mm-hmm. it's like you know it's a, a complete like like brain dump of just you know. And and Adam Lanza had this website bookmarked, and I think this means that. And he like helped the schizo <laughs> the <laughs> post um, and gave it a great headline. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you essentially make the case that mass shootings are sort of like crimes of despair or suicides, where where the perpetrator takes other people with him or her. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. this is you know this is interesting because um, this is actually like a non partisan viewpoint um there is this um the language that they couch it in is like a very sort of like hr but it's a a very interesting group it's called the violence project Mm -hmm. and they analyze every mass shooter that we have uh, data available on and you know interviewed um as you know as many living ones or you know survive survivors um (laughs) survivors feels like the wrong word uh but you know surviving shooters um that they you know again that they had access to and that's that's what that's what mm-hmm. the study yielded like this is a unique form of suicide um mm-hmm. even if it sometimes has like an ideological slant or like the the posts like the you know the internet posts or the digital footprint suggests that there's um you know like they align with this view or that and what's interesting is you know like what i what i added I read through a lot of different um, shooters, uh, you know, I went through their digital footprints and even if they are on the far right or if they're on the left or if they're, you know, accelerationist, regardless of what they are, they all have the same problem, which is this despair. And they might use the language of a certain community, but it's not like, it's not for revenge. um, It's not, uh, you know, it, it's just it it it's just the language gives it like a like a certain flavor, but they're all saying the same thing. Like same I have thing. an emptiness yep. that has been caused by the world that I live in, and I have no idea what to do. And then yeah, they, yeah, yeah, you know, well, that's yeah, this, sort of how it ends. Definitely, and there's something that you know very much resonates with me about this article. It's kind of what I've always, even before I um kind of got interested in more dissident takes on things. My my. My read on on um, mass shooters has always, I think, fundamentally been this. I remember even like I was pretty young, you know, I was like 
15, 16, when um, that guy shot Gabrielle Giffords in Arizona. But I remember being sort of um, disturbed by that case and and what that shooter, I don't even remember his name off the top of my head, uh, but, but, but what he had to say, and he's still alive, I believe. Um, and, and, and he was kind of more in a, he, he's more of someone who'd be labeled as schizophrenic. Obviously, some people are a little more lucid than that, but just that general um, sort of despair with the world and desire to lash out against it. Um, you know, I don't want to say that that I relate to that, although I think on some level, a lot of people do relate on some micro level to it. And that's kind of one of the things that's so frightening about the phenomenon. But um, yeah, just I think always, always, um, I'm glad an article like this exists, because for me, it just for me, it's almost obvious that that the kind of understated thing is the nihilism that is beneath everything. And and yes, there's conversations to be had about guns and and and, you know, mental health even. Um, but but uh, even even with mental health, I think the problem, you know, is is bigger with this this broader nihilism that remains unaddressed um, in society. Uh, and I, I don't know how to go about yeah, because it. it, it yeah. It, I mean, it manifests in other ways too. And this was sort of the point I was, I, I, you know, I make an article and I made on, on Tucker, like, it's not just like, you know, under this, like in this pressure cooker, some people commit mass shootings. I mean, there's all sorts of expressions of it. Um, a lot of people are just paralyzed. Like how, you know, how many people like aren't really like living for anything? Um, it's one thing to have like a, you know, and I, I don't use this word with derision, but like a small life. And that's sort of like the life that mm. I, you know, I aspire to have. And I would say like the happiest time in my life is like when I cared most about my family, the people I lived with, and then mm -hmm. secondarily, my immediate environment, my neighborhood, my local community. And then third, what was like going on at work and that it was all very well integrated. And that was you know, those were the confines of my world. And that didn't mean I didn't watch the news or anything, but it was like, I, you know, I live in this neighborhood and this is what's relevant to me. And these are my concerns. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people are just totally like atomized and paralyzed. They're untethered. Um, and they're just, they're, they're just numb and they just, they, they make a paycheck and then they, um, you know, a lot of their time is spent just hoping the day goes by. You know, the stereotype is like, people play video games, but it's also like coming home and smoking weed and binging Netflix or, um, you know, just doom scrolling. There's all, there's all these things. And I think it, it's a spectrum and it's a expression of the same, the same problem. Um, I've said before that I think like a antidote to this, you know, could be religion. I think mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's like certain online affiliations. That's why people get so sucked into these sort of like internet political fandoms or maybe media fandoms. Um, but that, you know, that obviously, um, that, you know, it's, it's, that's not helpful either. Like even the days of like fandom being sort of like a health, you know, again, use loosely healthy uh, outlet yeah, where it's yeah. like, okay, I go to the conventions and there's a barrier of entry and I have an investment in this are gone. And now it's this totally cerebral thing that just like, you know, you just obsessed with and get into endless conflicts and we're all, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm rambling now. No, 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 no. It's okay. I get, I get what you mean. I mean, fandom used to be this kind of niche thing that some people found meaning in. And then even that was kind of problematized at a certain point. Uh, maybe, maybe there's always been a sort of toxic element to fandoms, but at a certain point, um, you know, the kind of the gamer gate of it all, uh, 
it just just even that stopped being some sort of straightforward escape from life. And now it's not even niche to kind of be involved in things like fandoms. A lot of us, fandoms and, and other forms of online identity, it's no longer, like, there was a time when, for better or worse, I think that was probably an escape for people. And even that, but now that, like, a critical mass of people do engage with the internet in that way, it kind of feels like it's less of an escape thing. And and just a much more fraught, fraught way to, I don't know, mediate your identity. Um I mean, I, this is what you write about all the time. I don't know. Does that does that sound accurate? I just I kind of have this perception that maybe it was once more of a straightforward escape, and now it's like, if anything, even more fraught than real life. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think fandom was was for misfits, and you know, now they're probably. I mean, now a big part of it is like, there's no like, there's no sense of place or sense of identity. So like you really have to like stick with things that you have. Let, let me, let me reframe this. Mm-hmm. It used to be that people who um, didn't relate with what they inherited or what would have been the immediately obvious identity would have escaped to fandom. Um, and this is part of why gay people loved fandom, right? Because they yeah. felt out of place with compulsory heterosexuality. They felt probably out of place with the, uh, you know, prevailing cultural norms in their environment. Um, and so, you know, not only is there this appeal of like the actual media property or the band or, you know, whatever it is, there's also this space to where there, it's a sandbox to play, right? That's mm-hmm. just the nature of fandom. It's like everyone's sort of a misfit and they're uniting over this other thing that they chose. Well, now everybody is in that position, even people who aren't misfits. This We, ha- we have completely extinguished um, experience-based or yeah. inherited identity and oh, it's definitely. all about it's it's a, it's a marketplace now and it's a very hard thing to talk about because you know inevitably like you know the logical conclusion to that is like oh well are you advocating for like maybe like a pernicious form of nationalism or are you trad i mean there's all these like sort of things that it opens pandora's box but i but i mean i do think um there is obviously like incredible value in like um being like I, you know, I am from Florida. I am a Floridian, and that that is meaningful. Or like I'm an American, and that's meaningful. And the, the you know, of course, there's going to be collateral damage and people who don't fit into whatever you know traditions or norms that are inherent inherent in that identity. Yeah. And then we have another space for them. But now, like, there's nothing for for nobody. And now it's it's. I think it adds to this this sense of loss. Absolutely, yeah. No, and this ties in, I mean, this is what you write about all the time, is this kind of crisis of, of identity. It's a little bit flavors of the sort of Robert Putnam bowling alone phenomenon of, of just depleting social capital. But whatever the reality is, um, you know, it, it's very much here. And and a lot of people are not uh, not addressing it, certainly not being addressed on a, on a mainstream level in any kind of interesting way. Not that there aren't, you know, interesting New York Times op-eds occasionally, but it's still it's not really being dealt with to the extent that that it should be. And I think that, you know, a lot of your work addresses it in, in a really cool and in, in a really, you know, consistent way. Um, and I, I imagine to bring it back to what we talked about the top of this podcast, I think I think that's probably one of the reasons why Tucker, you know, responded to it, because I think if anyone on a mainstream level does seem to have this care about depleting social capital and depleting, you know, however you want to frame it, uh, I do think it would be Tucker. So it's a natural pairing in that in that regard 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 obviously cares about it a lot. I it, it was so interesting. Like, I I think like I think people really underestimate how thoughtful um, Tucker Carlson is. Oh yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. even some of his fans. Yeah, he's oh, he, yeah. he like I, I I recently I I think it was this morning. Um, he gave some kind of talk at uh, the Heritage Foundation. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like another group, which you, you know, ordinarily you'd assume that it's just like, oh, this is like conserva inc block, but they have a lot of really interesting, valuable things to say. Um, but how like we're not in a culture war, we're in a spiritual war. I don't know if I necessarily agreed with him, but it was so obvious, like he wasn't just saying this because he knew it would resonate with the audience. Oh, yeah, like, no, I. He, he, yeah, he believed it and he thought it out, you know, and it was it was a really, I think. Again, I didn't agree necessarily, but I thought it was very moving and very beautiful. Yeah, no, I've been following him pretty closely since, I guess, around 2018. He wrote, he wrote a book called Ship of Fools that I liked. I mean, I think I know a lot of sort of more cynical mainstream type Republicans who will say like, well, you know, like Tucker, Tucker sure knows how to like rile up an audience. And uh, maybe, but I, I, I've i never I, I don't think I'm just like so blinded by my like for him as a person or my agreement with much of what he says i don't think i'm so blinded by that that i that i that i completely missed the point that he's manipulating an audience he's always struck me as very thoughtful very sincere very willing to kind of go out on a limb um even at risk of his own career and just very genuine and 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 for me that's proved especially by uh, I think it's called Tucker Carlson today, like that. I don't know. I don't even know what, when that started, but it's almost like this Joe Rogan-esque segment he does it. And he did it with you and with, with Yarvin. And I mean, it was just very evident to me in that, that he was very, very sincere in what he's trying to do. Yeah. Um, uh, he, yeah, he, he definitely is. I mean, he, he is also a showman, but um, of course you right. have to be that. I think but yeah, that, no, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an it's a nature. I mean, that's that's sort of another thing I talk about a lot. Like on the on the flip side of all my railing against inauthenticity, you do also have to be like, well, I'm courting an audience, and what what is that? What does that entail? Yeah, there's something, something um, wrong with that, but yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I I uh, you know, don't always agree with him, but I think that he's a really interesting uh thoughtful person yeah and especially for someone on such a main mainstream basis it's it's i've always been pretty impressed with him uh but to to bring it back to to the mass shootings article um i mean you haven't did in the in the general topic we're talking about you know in terms of people not having any kind of broader communal identity you know to situate themselves in you have another article called a nation of lone wolves which kind of unpacks that a bit um and yeah you know i i just think it it makes sense to me you know the, the way you frame it here um another another point from from the article that that i liked a lot uh is that you kind of talk about how online the, like the online true crime communities who are obsessive about murderers mass murderers you know sometimes serial killers although i think a lot of a lot of what you get in in the more updated version of that is people who are more obsessive about these mass shooter types. Um, you kind of highlight this as a and a good example of a fringe online space where, you know, it kind of seems lascivious to a lot of people. Like, oh, why are these people so obsessed with the dark elements of you know Elliot Rogers' life or something? Um, this is kind of considered to be a little bit gauche or like a little bit like, oh, what's wrong with you that you're like fascinated with this fucked up kid? 
Um, but you know, I've always been, you know, from, from a young age, <laughs> you know, very like whenever I learn about some dark, um, criminal element, like it's always like, yeah, yeah there is something a little bit lascivious about it, perhaps like you want to know about dark things, but, but what you highlight is that there's kind of, there also can be a, a much more socially positive element to that, where you actually get people really delving into like, what is going on with some of these people in a way that, that others are not willing to touch, um, and I don't know. Yeah, I think part part and parcel of a general general interest of yours in kind of highlighting, you know, conversations that are happening um, in more fringe online spaces that aren't happening elsewhere. I don't know. Does that, does that resonate? Was that kind of part of what you were highlighting? Yeah. Um, I you know I I think that it's a it's a very that community in particular um, I think is very misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it, yeah, I, you know, and, and I don't think I understand it, um, as 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 well as maybe I've mm-hmm. implied in some of my pieces about it. Um, it 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 does seem like such a, you know, I I wrote this other piece about uh teen teen dramas like Euphoria, and yeah. how it they're part of the reason I think they're very campy but also still resonate with younger people is because it sort of gives a vehicle to angst right Mm -hmm. like you could sort of project yourself onto it and i think that the true crime community kind of and uh for listeners the true crime community tcc is not um like podcasts about true crime it's actually the name of you know of people who are Mm -hmm. it's sort of the school shooter fandom or the mass shooter fandom yeah yeah um which is very different very different textures I think it. I think for people who feel alienated or feel like misfits, it's an interesting canvas to project your pain onto because there is sort of it's it's cathartic in this very twisted way. Yeah, um, definitely. I think some people some people probably just like it because it's like it's weird and it's out there, and that's kind of like how people behave when they're adolescents. But I think for you know because there's a lot of overlap with uh, self harm communities and eating disorder communities which are also very interesting because the people in those communities don't always have eating disorders and also don't always self-harm, but they probably are feeling very alienated and the action becomes a proxy or a symbol for the pain, like a pain that is almost like inexpressible uh, in their, their physical environment. And I, um, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 it's something that I I keep coming back to. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, definitely interesting obviously there's there's some pretty weird stuff in the true crime community like you know you you talk a lot about in this article you talk a lot about adam lanza and i think you even highlight some you know people who've made like fan art of adam lanza there's a degree to which it gets pretty weird but but i definitely buy that that the that communities like these um are responding to inner pain that really can't find an outlet elsewhere um because it's not being adequately talked about and i think you know i can see the definitely the sociological value and sort of diving in um on that level i mean i i i kind of have this weird metaphor here where like some you know there's certain political type positions like you know the third position or you know you know being sort of you know anti the anti-capitalist right basically um you know that's kind of been there's never been um there's never really uh, there's never really been a, that kind of movement in the United States. Like it's always kind of been, uh, you know, you have paleo conservatives, but there's they've always kind of been this banished voice in the room. And what you get 
in that situation is sometimes you get people who have this like Nazi and Hitler mania uh, because they, they're they're taught that like this, um, you know, the third position or something is like this forbidden fruit. So they have no way of modulating that. And I kind of think it's similar with it can be similar with something like, uh, you know, the, 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 the nihilism underlying our time. Like if it's not adequately addressed by more mainstream sources that can modulate the uh, the response to it, what you're going to get is some people who also um, get get way too into these weird the, the, basically who 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 turn um mass shooters into folk heroes and things like this this is the byproduct of a society that's like not having enough conversations about this kind of nihilism in my opinion yeah i, I you know i agree with you like uh certain like revisionist history becomes very appealing when mm-hmm. um you know these conversations are too short i mean I, I was just like self-censoring myself when i was talking about like uh, you know, an inherited identity, like even 10 years. Ago, I mean, in certain circles, that's like not a uh, taboo. There is something sort of inherently taboo about it, but it's like people care about cultural appropriation because they're like desperately hanging oh, yeah. on to like, I, you know, like, like I'm Chinese and this is all I have. Like, don't turn this into a commodity, right? Like that is the heart of cultural appropriation. It's yeah, like, yeah. like ha- you know, it's, it's either market competition or it's like someone saying like, oh my God, this is the last place I have to like be myself you know and to be um and it, it, of course <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah you're 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 totally right like it's just like it creates these like weird contortions because there's just no release valve for it um just yeah. sort of like circles back to uh you know something we were talking about earlier but like there are plenty of um unironic Hitlerists who yeah. uh, even if they they use irony as a tool they, they they mean what they say um and i you know i don't it, again I, I should go with that thing don't agree with that <laughs> don't agree with them at all but like um it's in a sense it's not fair to them <laughs> to like whitewash their beliefs and like conflate it with like mainstream conservative thinking which i see happening all the time and that's the danger of sort of like ironically engaging with these people because it's it's sort of like you know it's it they're they're not going to be, the real ideas aren't going to be taken seriously, that they're going to be diluted uh, for like 15 minutes of internet attention. Um, And they, you know, they they genuinely, they genuinely believe these things. And they're, they're, in some cases, putting their ass on the line to promote it. Um, Again, I should just make it really, obviously not a Nazi, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I, mean, I don't want to sound too like too much like a psychologist or something like trying to to rein people in. But I do think there's an extent and I think this guy kind of is interesting, both with um, extreme politics, as well as uh, the true crime community, where it's like there's a reasonable conversation to be had about, you know, keeping liberal forces like like right wing anti-liberalism, as uh, my friend uh, Michael Millerman would call it, you know. In the United States, there there's never really been like like right wing anti liberalism has always been. And by by this, I mean sorry, I, I should unpack this. <clears throat> like right wing critiques of both economic and social liberalism have have always been tab pretty much always been taboo in the United States since the end of the Second World War. Like it's like you're kind of expected if you're a conservative to at least be pro free market to be grounded in that. But like obviously there is a real history. <clears throat> that is tainted a lot of people's minds by the second world war of, of like more wholesale critiques of the liberal or world order from the right. Uh, and this country, you can only get that from the left. You know, it's like a socialist critique of that. Uh, but 
this kind of this this empty space for for a more right wing critique. And but but I think there's very reasonable conversations to be had. And and I think Trump and others have kind of you know the phenomenon of Trump and others have made us have those conversations. Um, but there's still pushback. Uh, I don't mean to be going down this uh, to, to be rambling too much here. But you know the, there's this reluctance to have a reasonable conversation about you know a more certifiably right-wing anti-liberal stance. And because there's not that willingness to have the conversation, um, like all of a sudden, yeah, there's absolutely no release valve for it. So what you have is people becoming Nazis online. And I do think it's kind of similar with um, the, the com- this understated conversation about nihilism uh, with true crime communities. It's like, if there's no, if we can't acknowledge that, like there is a little bit of, you know, that lone wolf, nihilistic thing in all of us which is still taboo to say but if we can't acknowledge that then people are just gonna be like well i guess i really am part of this you know uh extreme tribe of people who are attracted to this um does that make sense sorry i didn't mean to ramble so much there no no i don't think you rambled at all i think i think it does make sense i also you know as we were speaking i think maybe part of it too is like there's a there's a lack of serendipity um or like friction and like ability to like feel something and i might be i might be telling on myself here but like i find myself attracted to certain extreme beliefs um like you know certainly not of of that variety but like yeah maybe like certain uh faith traditions or um even like diets um yeah. especially because it's like i i'm i'm super isolated um i spend most of my time alone and if i like uh change my diet radically or if i get super into like you know some esoteric expression of islam like i'm it's it's new and i'm like feeling something yeah. that sort of like the the like low hum of my like daily life like can't provide me and it can't it can't provide me with that because i'm like you know i don't go outside and like i don't i you know there i i maybe interact with a starbucks cashier but like that's kind of that's kind of it there's no there's no friction or or, or vibrancy but um, like a difficult text or like uh, a difficult to prepare meal uh, that it does gi- that does give that uh, you know a, a jolt of feeling alive and of it also meaning, gives yeah. for a lot of people like yeah it gives you know, there's routine there's ritual there's a, 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 something to there's a learning curve there's all sorts of things that I think it gives people yeah well that leads next into the next topic i want to talk about pretty well i mean kind of you end this mass shootings in the world that liberalism made uh article and i think you talked about it a bit with tucker as well uh you know it, the question is like could could some kind of religion have you know could that have been an option for like the adam lanzas of the world and i think i mean the easy answer is like yes these things are ways of building um social capital and and finding meaning in your life and i you're definitely like pro religion in that sense but even that isn't always as simple uh because the, the, you know the, there can be some pretty uh, weird religions out there as well especially if you're finding them online sure um i think there's a lot of problems with uh religion as an antidote um there's you you need critical mass right mm-hmm. it needs to have authority which it doesn't have um, so you, you sort of need to buy into something that uh, is very difficult to buy into. Um, I think people really underprice how hard it is to undo what you were raised with. So like, you know, two sides of the coin, like if you were raised without religion or in a household where religion wasn't taken seriously and you maybe are like, 
agnostic or atheist, you can't yeah. just will yourself into believing in God. Yeah. You could try, yeah. but it's it's very it's it's a very painful process for a lot of people. The other side of that coin is like look at Ayla, who you know I like quite a bit, but as much as she's uh, a, you know an atheistic rationalist, she is an evangelical. That's just the template of how she interacts with the yeah. world, and that's because she was raised evangelical. You and to it's so it's so hard to you know untangle that um which makes like as the you know religion as an antidote in a lot of ways is like the idealist uh point of view and it's 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 worked for me in in bursts but like even though i was sort of raised with faith like i it wasn't taken seriously enough so i I, you know i can try but that that trying will only go so far because there's no sense of like stake like any stakes i have to like um you know, I, I, I have to coming from you. Put, yeah. Right. And it's, it, it's hard. It's like, you know, it's, 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 and then it's, that's, you know, it goes without saying, and then if you're doing it alone and there's no community, right. Like when religion really like worked for me, um, you know, in the truest that like, I, I believe to the letter, it was really shaping my life and it was the best possible expression of it. I was also in a religious community where my core friend group were true believers um, I, I had rig, I had, um, responsibilities within that community. I had expectations there. I had skin in the yeah. game, you know, my, my whole social circle would have fallen apart. Um, yeah. and well, that's the way soon, religion you know, traditionally was. Right. And the minute there is a seat of doubt is the minute that has the cards fell down. And I, I mentioned it on every podcast I'm ever on and I'm, I'm always sad about it because I, you know, I wish that I just, uh, you know, sucked it up and, and, you know, dealt with it. Cause I've never, ever been able to find a community like that again. Are you talking about the, uh, the coven, right? Or no? Yeah. I mean, I yes, think I probably okay. mentioned yeah. last, last, you did. Yeah, yeah, last no. time because it was, yeah, because it was just like, as much as like, as much as it's like silly and like, you know, people say it's like, oh, demonic or whatever. Uh, I like, you know, I reverted back to Catholicism. So I, I, I grew up Catholic. I'm I'm ethnically Jewish, but I grew up Catholic. And, um, I, uh, I like, I, I've tried to go back to Catholicism and, um, I like, there's just, it's, it's not something people actively engage with. So there's this, always this like, like dissonance and as you know, in so many ways, I think like Catholicism is like, I wish I could find a group like that coven that is Catholic, but that's yeah. just not going to happen because it's, it requires too much. Like you could only find it through a cult, which yeah, is sad. Gosh, really there's, is. Of course there's pitfalls to that too. No, I was also raised Catholic and I've also tried to go back to it and have just not had, uh, success i guess um it started to feel weirdly i mean there's all kinds of personal reasons for that for for me i mean there's you know just kind of disconnected from uh you know the community that of it that i was brought up in and it just never felt quite right to my you know the my life circumstances as they are now but but uh you know a few things to unpack in what you said i mean at the same time i feel like and, and people have told me this even like even though if i'm not a practicing catholic uh that really did sort of tattoo my uh my mind and my spiritual sensibility is still very catholic in the way that i guess like isla <laughs> is still evangelical and i'm sure you probably feel the same way about it if you were brought up catholic it's a bit you know um 
it has a lot going for it. Obviously, if if one is looking for authority and something that's not super easy to buy into, not to be coy about that, but, um, then Catholicism is a good candidate because <laughs> it's a very structured um, and specific faith to have. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I I mean I, I I agree with you. It's it's just it's so it's so hard when it feels like the, it's this like floating isolated thing. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I think is what's what's interesting is like I find that people who are able to like stick with stick with it sounds it sounds like somehow too cavalier or like dismissive or something. But like there's also like real value in like your religion being tied into your culture. Yeah. Um so like, you know, like a component of my Catholicism is that my my mom is um, an Italian immigrant. Like she, you know, she grew up in Italy and, and came to the States and they, it's it's also an expression of being Italian. And, yeah, right. um, you know, that was part of my discomfort with the coven, you know, was that like, I, I felt like somehow I was like, like I have so little connection to my heritage and what connection I had, I'm like spitting in the face of it. Something that is like, uh, you know, explicitly a sin, <laughs> and you know, it, and yeah. and it's like a further way to like to ch- to chops off like a, another avenue of connection, and and diet's the same way, right? Like, yeah, it's it it works best when it's like okay, we eat these foods. It's it and it's it's all like a it's all bundled together, um, and I think that's something that's like really missing, and it's really hard to talk about because it comes off. It's been talking about these things outside of the context of cultural appropriation have just has just been totally cut off because you know i like i miss a culturally rich catholicism or a culturally rich uh you know just maybe christianity in general is always like a stone's throw away in the mainstream imagination from like identity europa or something which is like yeah. you know it's, it's not the, it's not not the same thing but yeah. it's, 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 it's and it's sad <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think it makes sense yeah, no, definitely. I think it makes sense that um, obviously trad Catholicism is kind of the the drug of choice. And I shouldn't say drug, you know, the 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 religion of choice for a lot of sort of um, online based converts to traditionalist religion and in the right and in the post woke left and elsewhere, um, because it does offer that degree of rigidity, but I think you actually tweeted recently that you hope to see, maybe you were being, maybe you're kidding, but you almost hope to see uh, Islam replace Catholicism in that. Was that you who tweeted that? Yeah. I, God, that was another, it's, I'm just causing problems for myself on the internet That's all, right. all the Twitter's time. Twitter's right? Yeah. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was sort of joking. I mean, like, um, you know, I was, I was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a joke. Like, are you know are we done with this trend cycle and of course like everyone took that the wrong way right um, (laughs) you know like what uh, whatever (laughs) (laughs) i don't even really know what i meant but it was i was i was sort of poking fun at the like commodification of catholicism you know the very small scale of course but the you know the that little blip on the radar that seems like a much bigger deal than it actually is uh if you're in certain circles (laughs) Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, it is interesting with Islam. I don't, I'm not too much of a, you know, in-depth 
studier of this but it does seem like there is kind of a like andrew tate is is islamic or something like it does seem like there's a bit of a trend not even among the right but among some of these isol this kind of new generation of isolated young men sort of the you know manosphere 2.0 thing um it seems like there's a bit of a islamic contingent in but i actually don't know too much about that and um and i definitely don't see that as a, uh, yeah, as a good thing I could see, yeah. yeah 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 i could uh see that going wrong in any number of ways but um to move on a little bit from that uh you know um one thing and i think we sort of have this in common i mean obviously you're talking about that you were in a coven for a while you've always and we talked a lot about um sort of esoteric and occult topics the last time you came on this podcast my interest in that stuff has continued to grow and um i feel like that's if I have any, it sounds so, you know, you're talking about sin and, and that sense of, you know, the religion one grew up with. I mean, I, I feel almost bad or weird saying this, but if, if I have any um, spiritual practice now, it's definitely sort of in that direction, um, you know, kind of with tarot or, or whatever, like that stuff that I've been very, very interested in over the past year or so and kind of continuing in that direction. Um, you wrote a really interesting article for I'm trying to remember what the fucking publication was called. You wrote, oh, the Spectator, uh, about witch talk and um, sort of how there's this uh, contingent of people on TikTok who who I guess are kind of into the occult, but I guess the point of the article was that it wasn't really they weren't really going about it in a way so as to like actually, you know, they weren't doing it in such a way where they're actually making a real religion out of it um i'm just kind of curious if you have thoughts on sort of the strengths and weaknesses of what i guess we might call sort of new age or even occult traditions and practices that people engage with online i mean i just to just to to, to clear the air on it i mean I, as i said I, I stuff that i've gotten much more into and i think it can be an extremely effective tool for kind of understanding yourself and, and finding a degree of community I know um, someone who's now like a mutual friend of ours, meme analysis, um, lives in LA now, um, been hanging out. And I think he has a lot of, you know, I think he approaches it in a way uh, that it can be really beneficial uh, to to a lot of people who engage with it. But at the same time, there's there's really obvious pitfalls and even just the silliness of witch talk. Um, just kind of curious if you had thoughts on, you know, the potential of of new age lines of thinking to to kind of form new religions um or is that are you are we kind of playing with fire um yeah i don't i, I don't know i i think very few people um are as serious about it as meme analysis and you know me i don't know what your practice looks like but maybe you are mm-hmm. um i think for <laughs> a lot of people the new age is um one something they just dabble in because there's a lot of like uh alternative history in it that i think a lot that would be uncomfortable for people if they really understood yeah when you talk about that with wicca yeah that's basically made up right yeah yeah um and i you know i think there's the mystique is is doing a lot of heavy lifting but i think uh you know and I, i wrote about this for tablet as well like it's a, it's a, right now, I think it mostly functions as a tool for like wish making and wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, tarot, um, manifestation, crystals, like all, all of, all of the more popular expressions um, are forms of like sense making that lean towards wishing. 
you know, even, even astrology, right? Like it sort yes. of gives you this like structure to <clears throat> like, um, you know, romanticize and daydream. And I, I, I think that's, that's very interesting, but the, of course that's not a religion. People say, well, yeah. how is that different than prayer? Well, prayer is part of a larger tradition. And also, you know, prayer isn't always asking for things. Prayer is, is honoring and gratitude and uh, reflection in a way that I don't think is present in contemporary or at least very popular forms of of new age or esoteric or occult spirituality. It's mostly an outlet for people to be to try to will what they de- so desperately want into existence. Um, yeah. It's sad, and I mean, I, I I I use it that way myself a lot. You know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm like when I write so much about people like projecting onto these like TikTok tarot card readings because I do that. You know, I. I I, I'm yeah. thankful that the app is reading my text messages and knows that I'm worried about my career and it's going to show me 50 tarot card spreads that, that say that I'm going to be famous or something. <laughs> um, and, you know, yeah. and I know my friends are like that too. It's like, I, 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 I say it with such conviction because me and the people close to me are all doing this. Absolutely. No. And I, I, I do that too. I mean, I got my first tarot deck about a year ago and a lot of it was kind of stumbling through, you know, just kind of egoic wish fulfillment and um, which I guess is inherently part of uh, occult type topics. But one, one, one realization I've kind of come into it more recently and, and people like meme analysis who are much more seriously into this will say as much, uh, you know, like. It's like every, everyone gets into that stuff because of, you know, obviously you get into to magic, quote unquote, because you want to make stuff happen. You want to fulfill your desire like that's inherent to it. But um, it seems to me that if pe- anyone who gets more serious about it realizes there has to be like a real it's the same process as in any other religion, because let's be clear, like people get into or not get into because most people are born into, say, Catholicism. But a lot I mean, as a former Catholic, I can definitely say uh, you know, you half the time you're saying certain prayers, it's because you want something to happen. You're looking for some kind of comfort. It's kind of a, an issue that arises for, um, you know, older forms of religion as well. Um, but there, but basically what I'm trying to say is that anyone who seriously gets into either new age or traditional faiths, there has to be a moment where you transcend the just egoic element of, you know, just trying to get what you want out of the faith and like actually there has to be that higher moment of surrender, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I do think that can happen, you know, in both um, more traditional faiths as well as in, you know, more new age lines of thought. Um, if you have to kind of recognize a higher power, even if it's just like a recognition of your higher self or something, kind of almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous type type talk. Um, that's just the essential ingredient that I think elevates any spiritual practice away from the merely egoic to something transcendental. I think you're totally right. And I, I also think that's why, you know, it's it's hard to replicate online. I mean, I think it's probably easy to replicate online in like uh, closed groups, uh, mm-hmm. like Facebook. <clears throat> I've seen it happen in Facebook groups and on Discord servers, which I think is really interesting um, until like a lesser extent, like uh, Google groups. But um, it's it's difficult when it's solitary. Um, and it's yeah. difficult if there's too much social capital involved. A little bit of social capital makes sense, right? Like, you know, to go back to the coven, um, you know, there was rituals of initiation that were, you know, in some sense political. And that's true in any uh, faith tradition. There is like, there are politics involved. Yeah. And, a, a li- you know, a little bit of that sort of motivation um, 
I think it's it's fine, you know, even even if people don't want to admit it, it's just like, oh, we're, you know, we're chosen by God or like there's a divine sort of element to it. You know, obviously, even if you buy into that, there is also a, you know, how how am I navigating the relationships within this uh, group yeah. that I'm in? But that can't, um, you know, but that can't happen if like it's based on Twitter and like, there's a chance that you might uh, get a hundred thousand followers, and that those hundred thousand followers might one day pay your bills or something. That kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> that kind of uh, forecloses on, you know, the sincerity of, of of surrender. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a uh, yeah, different moving pieces. I think yeah, you definitely want some of that social capital, and that's largely what's missing in a lot of occult traditions is they are very individualistic. Although, as you said, you know, you can be in a coven; and it could be the best thing ever. Um, but you know, there, there's pitfall. Religion's a tricky thing. I mean, there's pitfalls in both directions. I think one can obviously have religions that are way too individualistic, but also, um, you know, you don't escape issues just by entering into a social network either. Obviously there's plenty of, um, political type issues that you, that you're talking about that can occur. I believe this is like a, a Carl Jung idea, uh, but he kind of described, um, the pitfall of Protestant or the pitfall of Catholicism is being, you know, too, too strictly authoritarian, like too just political too just, you know, I must follow these set of rules because this is what these people say. But he saw the pitfall of Protestantism as kind of devolving into self worship or like making, making yourself the measure of all things. So that actually in the modern world, that seems unfair to even say about Protestantism because Protestantism, you know, doesn't, doesn't typically register like that, but you can see kind of on a historical basis how in comparison to the to Catholicism, it, it would almost seem like it lacked that central authority. And then obviously I think any kind of occult tradition, um, with the exception of something that's very social, you know, social capital based, like maybe being in a coven, uh, but most most occult, you know, rituals are, are almost almost openly about sort of making yourself the measure of all things. So I think, I don't know, do, do you see sort of the, the it seems like there's, there's pitfalls in either direction. And I think that's something from the standpoint of someone who's like trying to select a religion, which for better or worse is the position that a lot of us are in. Um, if we either lapse from the faith we grew up with or, or never had one and now we're online and, you know, maybe we can appreciate the arguments that someone like you might make about the, um, the degree to which, you know, being involved in, in a religion or an organized religion can give meaning and, and direction to one's life. But, you know, we're kind of in this position of of picking and uh, the choice isn't easy, seemingly. I mean, part of the problem also is like you leaving could have a, a higher cost, right? If you choose yeah. or if you let's say you choose to be um, Presbyterian. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, you're really doing it for like six months. Um, if you leave, like, what is the social cost of leaving? What is the emotional cost of leaving? Uh, it's probably for most people very minimal and it gets looked back on like, well, that was a phase. And that's in some ways that's, that's a great development, I think. Um, because you think of all the pain. Um, I mean, the thing that I always come back to is, uh, compulsory heterosexuality, and, you know, all the people who were, were you know, genuinely uh, gay or lesbian who felt marginalized by that. Um, but like, you know, maybe there being an underground or a fringe, um, you know, that is the right release valve. And there yeah. should be like a higher cost lead and like 
it's yes, it's tragic that like some portion of the population will experience this pain, but like at what cost, you know, what is the cost of getting rid of that possibility? Right. Which is a, another very difficult thing to navigate. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I think now we're, you know, we're at the point it's like, we've made room for everyone. And now we're all kind of, kind of lost and like, you know, wandering or bumping into things. Um, you know, I, I say things like this and people are like, oh, well, do you think like gay people should go back in the closet? And it's like, well, no, maybe like that's, you know, one of the, one of the things that it's like worth like, okay, that, yeah. that was a great step forward. Um, but did, you know, did we go to, did we open things up too much? Should <clears throat> some people um, just have to ha- experience this friction in their lives? Are there ways to make room for everyone or make room for as many people as possible while not, you know, completely dissolving any form of structure or any yeah, guardrails yeah, yeah. that exist. I and, and part of the reason I say I'm not political is because, like, the, that's part of what politics is supposed to answer. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, no, I, maybe there really isn't. Tough. Maybe there is. I don't yeah. know what the answer is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just to comment on it a little further, I mean, I think one of the things that's really drawn me to the more occult side of things is um, just how open it is. Like, you can kind of um, you can kind of just do what works for you, which I think makes a lot of sense um, in the world the way that it is. Like you can be kind of spiritual and religious about things, but do do so in a way that that doesn't have to sort of contradict any of the circumstances of your life. I mean, a lot of what's valuable about more traditional religion, so to speak, is that it does in, immerse you in that um, community. Uh, which is great, but like, what if, uh, and this is my situation with it. Like I'm, I'm not like tethered to that community. Now I have a community of other people in my life from, you know, different faith traditions. Like why uh, would I sort of take the step of, you know, of joining like a different community that like has the advantage of being all um, organized around, uh, you know, a uniting religious principle, but like maybe I'd rather just sort of, have my life the way it is that my community be the way it is and have my own sort of religious practice on the side. Um, there's just more openness to that. Does that make sense? I, I don't know. I hope, I hope, I hope I'm making sense here. I just think that there's a lot of people who naturally like are, are really isolated and want a community. And that's the reason they step towards religion. In my case, it's like, um, I'm not actually sure that I want to like dive fully into a community. Uh, but I also like, I'm looking to have, you know, a spiritual part of my life. And it kind of just works better for me um, to make that a very personal, like self-selected thing. But I, even in saying this, I can hear the, like, I can hear the pitfalls of that, you know? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kind of rambling, but does that make sense? No, I think, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, part of my, um, part of my complicated relationship with Catholicism is, is also this, like, you know, there's several times I've gone to mass and I've thought like, I'm a, I'm a bad Catholic. And like, like, am I really, you know, like, am I taking this seriously enough? Am I respecting it enough? It, would it be better if I just didn't do it at all? I mean, there's, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it could be, it could be, com- it could be complicated. It, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's funny because I think there's a very, it, it's going to feel maybe strange, but I think there's sort of an analogy with like getting into a relationship later in life, right? Like they yeah. say there's um you know, mergers and acquisitions or something like mm-hmm. it, like at some point, like you do kind of get like you either grow together um, 
or like you're too set in your ways and you have to figure out how to coexist. Um, And I think that happens with religion too. Like you either grow in the faith or, uh, you know, you get to a point where like it, it needs to grow around you. Um, And of course, religions work best when you're, you're fully immersed. And then, um, yeah. And and, uh, the occult and uh, esotericism is very like a la carte. Um, At least, you know, a lot of it is. Yeah. 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 I guess the other, the other thing I was kind of curious for your take on with regard to uh, the occult and esotericism, et cetera, is um, I, I often kind of, feel that and i think this is someone like meme analysis opinion as well um you know that we can't really step back to like it kind of feels like these other forms of faith like there's there's still communities around catholicism and, and other forms of christianity like these these communities still exist but i i sometimes and this is related to what what you were just saying a moment ago as well you know what is the real utility in me like trying to step into someone else's sort of extant community of faith if i myself like um uh it would feel like i was almost larping or something like stepping into like a a structure built around someone else's tradition that maybe by no just life circumstances or by no choice of my own like i've stepped away from so like stepping back never felt 100 natural and i mean i guess um you know, someone who's like a very firmly believing esotericist might say, well, it's, it's, it's a new, new age. Like we, I've kind of bought into this to a certain degree myself. Like it's, um, I can't really step back into these older forms of faith. Like it's just kind of the loose material uh, of spirituality and faith is kind of here in front of us by way of like some of these more esoteric schools of thought. And like, I mean, I'm not really trying to start a new religion, but sometimes it almost feels like whatever the religions of the future are, they have not yet been formulated. Like, uh, you know, there's kind of an older age. This this already taps into, I guess, inherently into new age type thinking, but but it does seem to reflect reality sometimes that like there's this older age that's dying off and there's a new one that's being born. And, you know, whatever the religions of of the future are, they may just be completely different. than 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 what's around us now i'm just curious if that has any place in your thought or if you have a dog in that fight or if if that even makes sense no i think i think i i think that's interesting i mean a lot of people argue that um fandom has replaced religion and that might be true um and if any i i don't know if i could speak to that intelligently but um i have a friend um monia and I think her, I'm just going to actually look this up because she writes very well on this topic. I mm-hmm. think it's exiledfan.substack.com. Yes, it is. Interesting. I was, just, I was yeah. worried. Yeah. I was worried that I, <laughs> <laughs> but she, she, you know, she talks about fandom um, and all, you know, all the different contours of it. And it's interesting because she was, she, you know, it's, her blog is called Exiled Fan because she was excommunicated from a fandom <laughs> and it yeah. felt like a religious excommunication. Um, and yeah. I think it's the way she talks about it. It's even more compelling than wokeness is a religion. Well, it's not that wokeness is a religion. It's that wokeness is a fandom, a fandom. yeah, and fandom Jeez. is, a, is yeah. religion. Um, and then I think that, I think that's, I mean, you know, that's a, I, there's a lot of people who think that's like quite obnoxious, but I, I, you know, as it much as sense. it's sort of yeah. been uh, right. Yeah. It's been like weaponized by this dissident center and they do, you know, they do have a point. Right? 
Yeah, it has a it has a kind of structural like the structural similarity between fandom and even something like wokeness, um, or even something like the dissident center. They like bring it to a different you know to a different kind of critique. You know, it, it does operate in the same way. It's this very web based like um, you know there's going to be memes there's going to be little shibboleths and like things that and like figures that people rally around it's kind of been the same for quote-unquote wokeness as it has been with a lot of more like fandom type communities um it's like we're all i mean part of this is like what is you know what is religion under capitalism uh you know and maybe it's fandom and like again like that it sounds like so obnoxious to say out loud but it's like maybe people keep repeating it because it's just true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And it's like, uh, we're not being prescriptive here. Uh, obviously, you can point to the, the the spiritual, the potential spiritual poverty of that kind of concept. But at the same time, um, yeah, there's something there, I would say, no doubt. Well, uh, before we wrap, we're almost hitting two hours. I don't want to keep you too long, but I did want to just really briefly touch on this novel. <laughs> so when I originally um, reached out to you to potentially come back on the pod, I was kind of having more ideas like later last year, like, uh, oh, like we'll start doing more shows about specific books. And you'd written a really good review of Jonathan Friends and last novel from 2021 called Crossroads, the first of a series of three now you've since told me that you don't remember the book super well uh but it is a really good review and people if they search your name crossroads they're gonna find it um and we so we don't have to talk about this for too too long because i know um it's not a topic that's very fresh on your mind but i did just want to say it's a great review and um and i i i really enjoyed the novel crossroads and i think even if you don't remember it as well um you would probably say the same. Uh, I think that was one thing that came across in the review is that that you that you liked the novel a lot and that's a it's a good one. Um, but interestingly, I do think there's some some resonance uh, with with Crossroads and with what some of what we talked about because it's about um, basically like a secularized church group um, in the 1970s and the kind of changing face of Christianity in America. Um, look, I know you said you don't remember the book super well, but do you have any 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 thoughts on, you know, Franzen's novel in relation to, you know, religion or any of the other topics we've talked about today? Um, well, first of all, thank you for liking it. Um, someone actually used it <laughs> in a classroom discussion as like how not to write a book review. Ah. Um, I think I was one. Of, I think it was actually one of the first book reviews I had ever. Um, ever written and I was sort of like fumbling and trying to figure out like oh how do I you know how do I do that I've since gotten better at the form but um it was it was at first very difficult for me uh yeah you're you're right I don't remember the book super super well um but I did you know I I did remember feeling like and this is this is what the review is about uh Mm -hmm. that it was an indictment on um I think it, take, it takes place in the seventies, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. Remember an indictment on like the the post sort of like sexual revolution, yes. uh, you know, world like you know the kind of like uh, hippie silent generation, and of course baby boomers, and it was kind of critiquing like baby boomer individualism, and it it, it hit on all the different points like uh, you know racial activism, sort of divorced from. The concerns of the community you're yeah. you're, at, you're um, being an activist for, and then of course there was a lot about sex that I thought was was interesting. Definitely, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it I I actually should reread it because I, I it's remember a really it, good like book, the yeah. last Yeah, <laughs> I mean this is such a, a silly, like almost like and I also included this in in the review to you know many's uh you know gave it gave a lot of people an in to make fun of me, but the last time I was so engaged with a book and felt like so like firmly rooted in the narrative universe was as a child reading Harry Potter. Like yeah, it was that, yeah. so it had that kind of impact on me. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's like a 900 same, yeah. page book. And I, I read it in two days. Cause I was just like, I live in this world now are, and these yeah. are my friends. Yeah. It's, it's like very, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, but it did, it did feel, it did feel sort of like a critique of, uh, you know, contemporary individualism sort of pinpointing it you know uh like boomers <laughs> like boomers fucked us up the book <laughs> <laughs> yeah no definitely and, and franzen is fascinating on this topic i mean i think that um you know what when i was preparing the notes for this i knew i wanted to talk about crossroads a little bit um i think that it's almost like an alternative title for that review you wrote or 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 another piece you could write would be like jonathan franzen and the world liberalism made I think that Franzen is someone who very much in Crossroads, but in all his work is grappling with the excesses of liberalism, specifically in the realm of individualism and, and the negative effects that has on people's lives. I mean, he's just a, he's so Midwestern, you know, he's, he's so, so liberal and yet he's so, so Midwestern. He's so, so sort of Lutheran in his outlook on things. It's kind of been that point we were talking about earlier where the way you're brought up, just never really goes away, even if you change your faith, even if you move to a different location. Obviously, Franzen's in uh, California now, but there's, you know, he's still so evidently um, a Midwestern Christian sort of in his heart in a funny way. And, and it comes across in, in his writing. You know, he has these what's interesting about his writing is, is his characters are typically liberal and liberal Democrats, but they're often uh like religious or quasi-religious themselves definitely in crossroads there uh you know the the patriarchal figure in it the, the father in the book is um you know very very both very very religious and very very liberal and that's kind of jonathan franzen's aesthetic is like he's he's liberal but he's not um he's he's like very moralistically liberal i guess where it is almost like you'd imagine that it's rooted to some social gospel kind of thing um you know for i don't know if that's something that friends would be proud of per se it just always comes across in in his fiction but then also like he's writing these new yorker or i guess it was new yorker pieces about environmental devastation i mean he's just someone who has a very very hyper moral view on life um but brings it in a liberal you know leftist even direction which is interesting yeah he he does he does really feel it feels like there's there's not a lot of people like him. Yeah, right? no, the, like it's, it's, just... it's a dying breed. I mean, because it's it's when I say liberal moralism, obviously people think like woke moralism. No, he's pre woke. Like he's someone who just he has some sense of like what it is to be like a decent American almost. He just happens to be really really liberal, and it's it's totally a dying breed. Yeah, it's he's very he's very nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, it's kind of interesting with him. I, I did have this thought too, you know, he's, I, I don't want to miss, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he kind of in crossroads and elsewhere, he strikes me. So crossroads is all about like, you know, the characters in are all trying to 
be they're, they're all very like philosophically concerned with like being a good person and what that means and for many of them um it ends up having a kind of religious dimension i get the sense that in franzen's own views he's not religious i don't think or not really anyway that he's probably one of these people who'd say oh you don't need religion to be a good person or to lead a good meaningful life um which um or that you can almost like create kind of the benefits of these religious values within kind of your own communities which by the way i don't necessarily disagree with i just find him to be an interesting case of this kind of like liberally educated you know went to swarthmore college kind of guy um who yeah just kind of one of these people who who who, who has this firm belief in like ethics and morality and that people should should do things to to improve the world but that it doesn't necessarily have to be religious um but it's just interesting for me because i i feel like it's a little bit it's 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 idealistic in its own way like i wonder how someone like franzen would respond to the notion that like your average person just is not liberally educated and has all this like you know leisure time to sort of think through these things morally and that you know just the the world over people do need religion to provide that kind of meaning and direction and um as someone like him who's very critical of organized religion i wonder sort of how he'd respond to that notion yeah i wonder too and i i wish i knew enough about him to yeah to to guess but i unfortunately right right i even i I mean i i don't yeah I may know a little more about him, but even I don't know quite enough to know exactly. I mean, I just know, it just seems like someone who's both grappling, just for me, I'm kind of just saying the same thing over and over again, but to me, he's just an interesting example of one of these people who, um, you know, it has that, you know, small C conservative Midwestern orientation and yet is also part of the intelligentsia and, is trying to bring those two things together in a way that for me makes him fascinating and his work is fascinating. But like, I don't know if like he has, I mean, it doesn't have to because it's a bigger question, but like the overall Jonathan friends and vision for like how to, you know, get out of the mire that this country has been in that. And I think he's trying to chart through this trilogy of books that he's writing, starting with crossroads of, you know, how do we get out of this mire of individualism? Um, I'm not, I, I guess I shouldn't I mean, guess I think, exactly. I think yeah, that personality template, you know, assuming that like, I think sort of like a, you know, a secular liberal might, might say, um, you don't need religion to be a good person. Uh, you need community, right? Like you, yeah. there, you do have a sense of what's right and wrong, but you, you, you need like a, a nourishing community. Um, and yeah. it would be about like, how do we, how do we integrate everyone into the community and, uh, create space for everyone to be like their authentic self without yeah. without shame and mm-hmm. of course that's very idealistic and yeah what what they miss and i don't know if this is actually what franzen would think but just maybe sort of the per- the hypothetical person we're describing who franzen may or may not be um i think what they miss is like there is there is like a healthy amount of shame um that you know that exists and of course they 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 do on some sense know, know that because um, they, you know, they would shame people for, for being racist or they would shame people for, uh, you know, breaking certain laws, although certainly not every law. Um, and I think what, you know, what they would need to be convinced of is like the things that we think um, cause an unnecessary amount of shame 
you know, like maybe we should revisit what we should put the, the guardrails, uh, you know, up, up against, right? Like yeah. maybe we were, we did swing a little bit too far with sex. Maybe there is a way to like have a healthy expression of sexuality without letting people have, you know, a complete freedom of identity. Um, yeah. You know, maybe people, there is such thing as like experiencing too much and shame has nothing to do with that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't, and I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent uh, this, this perspective either, or like, you know, unnecessarily vilify it. Um, but clearly I feel like every, whatever is going on right now, uh, people are sort of grappling and <laughs> it's not quite right. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Not, not quite right. And um, no, it's interesting you bring up the word shame. Cause I actually think that sort of gets to the part of it. I think Franzen and Crossroads, I mean, shame and the shame, the different characters feel for different sexual excesses, uh, even drug related excesses in the case of one character. Um, shame plays a very central role in Crossroads. Shame plays a very central role. I think in all of his books, I don't know if you've read his novel, freedom but but part of the theme there is um is someone who's an environmental activist and he's trying to promote the uh, you know pr- promote greater shame around um environmentally devastating behavior so i actually think that franzen um that that's an area which he may d- differ from a lot of you know more live and let live type liberals i think he actually is very concerned with um with shame and and with 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 social order and finding you know with, with that kind of morality and I I think I guess this is how I'd wrap it up I mean I think he is someone who you know he he grows grows up in this midwestern Christian environment he doesn't agree with the values of that but he can see how those values um could structure you know are good like that there is there is value to having guardrails and I think that he in his liberal outlook seeks to promote those guardrails for for the more mainstream culture again i don't want to be mischaracterizing him but that i think is one of the fast but i do i do think there's something to be said for that and it's a very fascinating sort of element yeah i mean i think that's that's a big you're you're right that's a big part of crossroads because it, it it my read of it and i think you know a lot of people disagree with me is like he's saying okay there are too we have indulged too many excesses and the the shame in some sense has made it worse but where you know where do we but also that doesn't mean that the original behavior didn't have a deleterious effect on the person who yeah um you know act acted out and it's like where is that that middle ground on like um okay like you know maybe your abortion was very hurtful but yeah. also like the culture of shame around it makes it worse like where you know yeah. w- well what do we do exactly um, and yeah. yeah i mean maybe that is a good, <laughs> that is a good question because I, I i don't i have no idea <laughs> yeah no but i, I do th- i mean i think that's one of the things that makes me like Franzen's work despite the fact that i probably don't agree with him politically is that he he brings up necessary social questions but um well we we can pretty much wrap this up i know we're, we're going over two hours i don't want to keep you too long um the only other thing i was gonna say about crossroads and, and you highlight this in the review is that uh it uh it didn't make as much of a splash as you might think it would. I it's a very very it's probably his it may be his most entertaining novel, you know, next to the corrections. Uh, but you know, just this is kind of just a meta reflection, but and and you say as much. We're kind of living in this time where the novel just so much does not have the cachet it once does. Uh, you know, most of you listening this probably haven't even heard of Crossroads. Yeah, it's 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 too bad. Um 
it, it's feel it feels like a a dead form right now yeah no unfortunately crossroads is you know if anyone was at was to ask me you know if there's any good good novels to read from recent years i probably would recommend it because it is so entertaining but but yeah we're kind of living in this moment of the the death of the novel especially when it's a older white midwestern guy who wrote it but uh we can we can leave that be um before we wrap anything else you obviously kind of asked you more at the top you know what you're doing more recently you have your you have uh we met online with nama kate's series um anything else you want to promote or you want you know if our, in case our listeners don't know, which I think they probably do, but you know where where they can find you. Um, nah, you, you know I'm I'm everywhere, uh, and I, you know the question <laughs> yeah. people have is is why why am I everywhere? I don't know. <laughs> I just am. Uh, you'll run into me eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you're back on Twitter now. I know you were kind of you took some breaks, which is uh very understandable. Yeah, uh, I'm a yeah. big uh. I'm a big account deactivator. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't like Twitter very much, but I do. Unfortunately, if I'm going to keep being a default friend, I have to keep it live. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I'm not. I'm not as big into it either as some others. But you just gotta promote your stuff in some way. But uh, but anyways, Catherine, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I'm excited to get this up, and we will keep reading your stuff and uh, keep in touch. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday. You too. All right.